by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Last week, what was we talking about? We was talking about living the resurrected life. Y'all remember that sermon? If you weren't here, I hope you were able to catch it on our YouTube channel or, or on Facebook and live stream with us. Thank you for you guys joining us by live stream today. How you doing? We're glad you're tuning in with us. Just stay tuned in because God wants to speak into our our lives in an impactful way today. I'm I'm talking God wants to do something. You know, God's always wanting to move forward. And we got to live these resurrected lives. You know, it does no good for us to be resurrected like Christ. He came out of the tomb. We came out of the tomb of death, and now we're on our way to heaven for us to just sit back and be pew sitters. You know, the prodigal son's brother, he lived in the house, you know, but he didn't enjoy the benefits of living in the house. He did not live the resurrected life. He was, he was kind of cynical and what would you call him, the prodigal son's brother? He's mad at the world, wasn't he? I don't get this. I don't get Well, it's all there for us. Why ain't we getting it? All the promises of God are yes and amen to the resurrected life. And we're going to sit and complain that we don't got them, but we're not pressing in. We're not deciding to live the resurrected life. Ephesians 2.10, I read this all the time. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So, say so. Not so like so. Some, some people are like so. I've been made new, so so nothing changes. I'm still going through the motion, still waiting to set for Saturday, you know, Friday afternoon. I'm living for the weekend. So is that the way you feel about your resurrected life? No. It says we were resurrected. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good works, the good things that he planned for us long ago. He's been waiting for the day that you'd wake up and say, come on and join with me, son. We're going to get things done. That's the resurrected life. You know, Jesus told a story about two sons. He said, the father told the oldest boy, I want you to go out to the vineyard and work today. And the oldest boy says, okay, dad. No, the oldest boy the oldest boy was one that says, no, I don't want to go. But then later on, he went. But he asked the younger son, go out to the vineyard and work today. And the younger son says, okay, Dad, I'll go. But he didn't go. And that's two different kinds of people that we have in the world today, two kinds of Christians. Which one are you? I think a lot of us could say, yeah, at first I told God I'd go, but I didn't go. I've never served the Lord. You know, I got saved and I had good intentions, but I really never got off the pew. But some of us were like, I'm not going. I'm going to live my life. You know, it's all about me. And we, we explored all the world had to offer. We were like Solomon, you know, in the book of Ecclesiastes. I tried partying. I tried 
building monuments to myself. I tried laughing. I tried all the fun stuff. And some of us tried more than that. <laughs> but then we turn around and say, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And I don't care which one you are, which one you most identify with. I'm telling you, it's time to go. It's time. Jesus himself prayed that, that we would send labor, that the Father would send laborers into the harvest, and it's time to go. Go into all the world. Who wants to go? Who wants to go? Amen. <laughs> I want to go. I don't want to be left out. I don't want to be like that prodigal son's brother living in the house but not enjoying the resurrected life. You know, when I first got saved, I always tell you, I got saved, saved. I went whole hog from the very beginning. And wherever they wanted me, I went. And one day they asked me to go into the youth group and just, you know, to be a helper. So I went in there and sat down. And they were teaching the youth or whatever. And the youth pastor said, guy, you know, he knew I was just recently born again. He says, you got anything to say? Well, y'all know me. <laughs> I said, um, I, I could say something. And I got up. And I, I don't know, it just was on my heart. I told this story about something that had happened to me, something I'd learned recently. I can't remember what it was at the time. Just gave basically a little testimony and followed it up with what I learned from the Lord. And they were like, after the meeting, the, the kids were patting me on the back and saying, wow, that was awesome, man. You tell good stories. You can be a preacher, you know. They was pumping me up. They were saying, even the, the pastor, the youth pastor, he said, I tell you what, won't you preach next week? They were excited about my ability to preach now, that didn't give me the big head at all, did it? <laughs> you know what I did? I went home, man. I had been, you know, those was back in the days where you put cassette tapes in. You know, and we had a library at church full of cassette tapes of preaching. And I was listening to all these men of faith and these great Bible teachers. They were, they were line upon line, precept upon precept, and they would blow your mind with all the the heavy-duty revelations that they had from the Word of God. And that was all new to me, and I said, I want to be like that. So I put together this message, uh, and, you know, I, I, I knew the youth only had a short attention span, but <clears throat> when I preach, you know, they don't matter, you know. So I put together this lesson upon lessons. And that next week I went in there and I started preaching on the Holy Trinity or something that I didn't know about. You know, I, I got so deep, I was over my head and I was like, I'm looking for a way out of this thing. I, done got, <laughs> I got myself into something I didn't even know how to get out of. And by the time I got through, the, they were patting me on the back again. The, the youth were, they, they said, it's all right, maybe next time. Maybe, maybe you'll do better next time, you know. It wasn't that bad. You know, when they say it wasn't that bad, it was that bad. It was horrible. And the pastor, the youth pastor, I don't ever remember him asking me to preach again. It was many years before I got an opportunity to again. But what was the problem? I was trying to be somebody I'm not. I was trying to be somebody else. I wanted to be like those guys that, that I admired. But you know, when I was just simply myself, I'm a storyteller. When I was simply myself, do you know that God's not asking you to be somebody you're not? He wants to use the gifts and talents he gave you. We, we, I see on, you know, the internet just tears preachers up. They preach this way. It ought to be done this way. And everybody's trying to get everybody to fit in the box. But maybe God's trying to get preachers to preach the way that God taught them to preach, that gifted them to preach. Some people are encouragers. Some people are, you know, hellfire and brimstone. But let them be who God made them to be. And you be who God made you to be and stop trying to be somebody else. 
I learned that the hard way. <laughs> Man, I'm a storyteller and I can't help it. You know, it's in me. And uh, needless to say, I, I didn't start out with, you know, afraid to jump into things. You know, I've been, I suffer from acute case of pride early on. I thought I could do everything. And so I was willing to jump in and do everything, and I made a fool out of myself so many times. But over the years, that's the bit, main thing God's had to work with me is humility. You know, I had to come from a place from pride to humility. But today we're going to talk about the people who come from maybe a place of humility or self-doubt or don't believe that they have any gifts or abilities, come, come from the different angle. And I'm, I want to give you courage today that God has gifted you to do great things in your life. That you can go. That your gifts and talents are needed in the kingdom of God. Today's message is entitled, I Matter. Say, I matter. Some of us just have a hard time believing that our lives even matter. You know, you ask most of the people that's not doing anything in the church, they just say, well, I don't have anything I can do. You know, I don't know of anything... That, I, I, you know, nobody's ever asked me, you know. Let me just tell you right now, if nobody's ever asked you, I'm asking you right now. Get ready and let's go. Get ready and let's go. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because you matter. Look at your neighbor, say you matter. 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 18, and before I, I, I indulge in this scripture, let me say, your life, if you're a member of the Passion Church, is inexplicably connected to this vision that we have on our walls. Now that's, most people don't understand that Jesus is building his church on the earth. This is what he is doing. He has called us together to, so we can all work together to accomplish this. I just want you to keep that in your mind. Because, you know, we're so prideful and so independent thinkers in America, we all just want to go off in our own direction. But God's saying, you're more powerful together. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, he says, but our bodies have many parts. Thank goodness. And, you know, our body of Christ also has many parts. And God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Some of you feel like you're just a little old toe. In the body of Christ, there's nothing I have to offer. Have you ever walked through the living room at night and hit that big little toe on the coffee table? And you say that big toe don't matter, it matters. All the other members of your body will be suffering with that little toe. That little toe is there for a reason. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are the most necessary. 
Amen. Wow. <laughs> Somebody's listening. Say, I matter. You're part of this body of Christ. And God is fond of underdogs. If you hadn't read the Bible, you ought to start. And you'll find out that God is fond of underdogs. The Bible says that he loves to use the foolish things to confound the wise. So that puts us in perfect position. <laughs> or maybe I'm just speaking for myself. And almost everybody who did anything great in the Bible... God uses underdogs, if you haven't noticed. In Matthew 25, 15, the parable of the talents, you know, he says he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last. But he divided it in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on a trip. You see, that's what God does. He gives you talents according to your abilities. He... he so you're saying, I can't sing, or I can't preach, or, and so I can't do anything in the church. That is so wrong. You say, I can't grasp anything because I'm not a hand. But you're the heart. Or you may be the brain. You see, you play an important part. And just because you're, you're, maybe your talents aren't on the outside so that everybody can see them. Maybe yours are on the your talents are, are, are something that the normal person can't see, but that doesn't make them any less important to the body of Christ. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And it says God put us in the body where he sees fit. That's why when we, we ask people to serve, we go through the next step class and, and those things, we teach you about your gifts and, and how we can use them in the church. We give you the opportunity to, to find your fit. You seen any of our advertisements on Facebook? We say, you fit in here. We say, put some out, say, find your fit. That's what we want you to do. We want you to find your fit in the body of Christ and be the best you that you can be. Say amen. Before I get to preaching this whole thing, Galatians 6 verse 4 says, pay a careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. That's the problem. We got fear of what somebody's going to think. And we're comparing ourselves to others. And we feel like we don't have anything to offer. But that fear of man is, is uh, from the enemy. It's not from God. In the 11th chapter of Judges, we see the story of a, name, a guy named Jephthah. And Jephthah lived in the town of Tob, T-O-B. Now, the Bible doesn't say so, but I thought a good acronym for the city of Tob, T-O-B, would be Town of Black Sheeps. Because what had happened was Jephthah was hanging out in this town, and he had gathered to him a bunch of hard cases, rabble, rebels, you know. He had... He had gathered to himself some an army of misfits. But what, why was he in Tob? Because he was born into a difficult situation. His mother was a prostitute. And he was born into the family where there were other children to the wife. And the other children to the wife 
didn't receive him as one of their brothers. They didn't want to split the inheritance with him. You see, he had a broken family. How many of us have been raised in a step family or something, broken homes? We didn't have a dad. There's all kind of scenarios, right, where our family life isn't what God really would have planned for us. And through no fault of our own, we find ourselves feeling like a black sheep. And his own brothers and sisters said, you're not splitting the inheritance with us. you got to go. And so Jephthah left, and he went to this town called Tob, or Tob, or however you want to pronounce it. And he gathered to himself an unruly bunch, but he had a gift as a warrior. Man, he was a good fighter. And they would go out, and they would pillage and raid villages and stuff, and they were heaping plunder onto themselves. I guess he thought to himself, you know, if nobody's going to give me an inheritance, I'll just take my own. And a bunch of us have been like that, right? Our, fa- our family started out rough. It's like, I just got to get out. I moved out. How many of y'all moved out early? I moved out early. I said, I'm going to make my own way. And then I went out, and I didn't rape and pillage and rape, but I, I did some stuff, you know. I used my gifts and talents more so for the enemy than for God. Have any of you done that? Some of you know what your gifts are. You just hadn't used them for God yet. You used them for the world. But just about everything that I use today in the ministry, I once used for the world. Guitar, singing, songwriting, you know, all that stuff. My leadership started, you know, leading rock and roll bands and stuff. The things that I used to use. How do you, you got to understand that God wants to, your gifts and talents will still make room for you. Even if you've used them in the wrong direction in the past. Well, he had such, such a reputation as a warrior. Then uh, the town of Gilead was about to get run over by the Ammonites. The Ammonites were fighting against, it, Gilead was in Israel. And the Ammonites were uh, enemies of Israel. And they were going to come and attack Gilead, so they went and sent to Tob and told uh, Jephthah, we need you. Come back and defend us, and we'll make you king. We'll make you the ruler over Gilead. He said, what you calling me for? You ran me off. He said, let me get this straight. Are you going to make me the ruler? They said, yes, we'll make you ruler. We just need you that bad. See, his gift surfaced, and, and even... Even the people of Gilead realized it, and they called him back. His own brothers who had kicked him out, now they need him. And they brought him back. And what did he do? He won a great victory, and he was indeed ruler over Gilead, which is an area in Israel for a time. Are you worried about your pedigree? Does that, does that hold anybody back these days? Do you feel like you've been the black sheep of your family? We kind of get that mentality and if we hold on to what other people think about us or, or situations that happen to us beyond our control or even maybe it was within our control and we used our gifts and talents for the devil. But it's just the decision to turn all that around and come back home. Your gifts will still make room for you. You remember Moses. 80 years after he was put in a little basket in the Nile River. 
he runs into a burning bush out in the wilderness. And it's burning the bush, but it's not consuming the bush. And he said, what in the world? And he goes to check it out. And as he get, draws closer, a voice of God comes from that bush and says, don't get any closer. You're standing on holy ground. Take your shoes off, boy. Moses takes his shoes off. And God says, I'm going to send you to Egypt to deliver my people from slavery. Well, Moses, that didn't sound right to Moses because Moses knew his past. First right off, he's, he's 80 years old at this point, okay? Most of you didn't know that Moses was 80 years old when God first called him. Have you heard of Moses? Do you remember all the big stuff he did? That was after 80 years old. Some of you are still using your age as an excuse not to go. Maybe you can't go in the same way, but all that wisdom you have to share. Anyway, you know, Moses was put in that basket, and, and he was brought into Pharaoh's house because the princess of uh, one of the daughters of Pharaoh pulled him out of the basket and said, let's keep him. You know, he's like a little toy, and they brought him. He, he was raised up in Pharaoh's house. He got the best education. He had the best of everything. He was highly educated and and uh, what do you call it? Cla class. He had class. What is the word that I'm looking for? Huh? He was upper class. He was, he was bona fide. <laughs> That's what Tony said, bona fide. He, he'd been to Popeye's, you know, he's bona fide. But anyway, so, so he was raised right, you know, in the world standards. Not raised to know God, but he had, he had everything that Jephthah didn't have. You know, he had stability. He had a strong family and everything. He had wealth. And uh, hold on, my brain is just going to tilt for a minute. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so, so he had everything, but then he began to realize that his, he was an Israelite and that Israelites were slaves in Egypt and the Egyptians were treating them bad. And so he began to feel an obligation to do right. He wanted to serve God. And he didn't really know how to serve God, but he saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite. And he says, well, at least I can jump in there and, and help. And so in his own strength, he tried to help the Israelite, but he ended up killing the Egyptian. And so now he's a murderer. And he has to run so he doesn't get put in prison the rest of his life. Maybe some of you tried to serve God once before and you tried to do it in your own strength and you made a mess of things. We can't serve God in our own strength. But now he's been in the wilderness just being a, a shepherd. He's tending the sheep. It's like for 40 years. He was 40 years old when he was a murderer and now he's hiding out for 40 years. Some of you seem like, man, my life ain't never been much. It's been so long, I mean... I don't even remember the last time I heard from God. Well, how about 40 years for Moses until he sees this burning bush? So he's probably won't. And so God says, I'm going to send you to deliver my people. And Moses says, wait, God, maybe you hadn't seen what's been going on, but I'm 80 years old now. And, uh, you know, got that, that murder on my rap sheet. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I tried this once before, and it just... It didn't work out for me, you know, so I kind of backed off. And as you, I have no resume. I've been out here in the wilderness for 40 years. You just really need to get somebody else. And you know what God said? 
I will be with you, Moses. And that really is, is the crux of today's message. That's all you've got to know. I will be with you. God would say to you right now, if you will have the courage to do what I say, I will be with you. That's all you need to know. Moses said, but, 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 but I stutter. I don't talk good. you got to get somebody else. He said, who made your mouth? Is there anything too hard for God? Moses argued and argued with God till he made God mad. And God almost killed him. We don't get to that part of the story very often, but on the way, Moses finally said, yeah, but he was still being disobedient and rebellious on the way. And if it wasn't for his wife, God would have killed Moses. But thank goodness he didn't. God is long-suffering and patient. But you got to believe God. He says, I will be with you. So you're you using your excuse is that you're too old, that you've had bad experiences, you got one little old murder on your rap sheet. Seriously, I mean, some people say, I've, I've got a felon, I, I'm a convicted felon, I, God can't use me. That's so wrong. That's so wrong. Most of the people God used in the Bible were convicted felons. God said in Exodus 3, he said, I, he said, I have seen how cruelly my people are treated in Egypt. That's what he told Moses. I've seen how they're treating my people, and I need somebody to go for me. And have you seen how the world's treating the people? God needs us to go. Say go. The old David wasn't even invited to the party. When Samuel the prophet came to anoint a king, he came to Jesse's house. And he said, Jesse, I come to anoint the new king of Israel. And God said, one of your sons will be the one. And so he paraded all the sons through. You know the story. Big, tall, strong, handsome, smart boys. And, and each one, you think, oh, that's got to be him. But God denied them all to the point where Jesse's just sitting there. He's like, you sure it ain't one of them? Samuel says, God has rejected them. Surely, there, do you have another son? He says, well, the little boy, the one out back, the one that don't matter. I mean, we didn't even invite him in. Surely it's not him. He's just a shepherd. He said, I ain't sitting down until you bring him in. They brought David in, and he said, this is the one. This is the one. The one that wasn't even invited to the party. You think you're too young to serve God, too insignificant? You think, well, I'm just a shepherd. You know, I'm working down at the Circle K. You know, I only make minimum wage. You know, God can't use me because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm limited. You know, I, I don't have anything to offer. And God says, I don't see people the way you do. I don't look upon the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. All you need to do is turn your heart towards God. Do you understand that? And, and having a shepherd's heart is a huge head start because Jesus himself was a shepherd. And that's what he wants to do is make us shepherds after his own heart. Being a shepherd, being a lowly shepherd. You know it was the lowly shepherds out in the field that night when Jesus was born that God first revealed his, his, his child to. God loves shepherds. He loves underdogs. 
Stop making excuses for things that don't exist. God doesn't look down at you because of where you work or how you dress or the money in your bank account. Or for your age, or for your rap sheet, or for your your pedigree, where you been and where you going. You know what? God finally refused King Saul. That's why he went to Jesse's house, because King Saul had a stubborn heart, and he wouldn't do what God said, even though he was king. God made him the man king, and he wouldn't do what God said. And God has made you kings and priests. Don't have a stubborn heart. Go. Renew your zeal to go. You're part of this body, and we are going to do this with or without you. But I sure would much rather do it with you. I don't want to leave you behind. We need each other. You know, there was a guy named Saul in the early church. After Jesus was resurrected and went on to heaven, he told them to go into all the world. And they were, they were building the early church. They got filled with the Holy Ghost and everything. And they were preaching Jesus. But there was this one guy that wouldn't have been invited to any of the churches. His name was Saul. In fact, he hated Christians. He began to persecute the church. He would go out of his way. He would hold their coats when they would stone Christians. He was okay in the, the death of Christians. He hated them. He, he had a zeal to kill Christians. And he would be the last. I mean, the church was locking, locking the doors and hiding away in houses trying to have service and hide from this Saul. And why do I tell you this story? Because this same Saul would eventually write two-thirds of the New Testament. Was that the guy that, you, hey, God says, I got an idea. We're going to get Saul to write the, the New Testament. They must have thought God was crazy. They didn't even want to believe it. They were scared of this Saul. Saul had to go out and preach in Samaria and other places first to get a reputation before the elders would even meet with him. And when he came back, they were scared. I was like, you sure he ain't tricking us? Because we know what he's done. And Paul himself, after they named him, they changed, God changed his name to Paul. Paul himself said, I was the chiefest of sinners. I'm the least of all apostles because I persecuted the church. He understood his past, but he said, nevertheless. And you need to say, nevertheless, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's what I am. Nevertheless. That's a good word, isn't it? I just thought of that. Nevertheless. I'm going to put that on my tombstone. He was an idiot. Nevertheless. If you can put a nevertheless on your tombstone, you're doing good. I like that. You know, Saul simply switched teams. Maybe you're in here today and you're on the live stream, and man, you're running hard after the devil, and you know it. You can still switch teams. You just, it's, you can just say, nevertheless, I put all that behind me. Receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
and move on into the resurrected life. Can you imagine when Jesus was walking with his disciples? I think it was in the town of Capernaum. And, he, you know, he had most of his disciples already gathered. And they'd been doing miracles and stuff for a little while. And they walked by the IRS booth. And Jesus stops. And he says, Matthew, come follow me. Peter's like, oh, 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 Jesus, hold on. They're like, whoa, Jesus. No, he's a tax collector. You got the wrong guy. You, you mean Matthew? He says, yeah, Matthew. You see, God will use an IRS agent. I'm just kidding. If there's any IRS agents, forgive me. I'm just making a joke. But no. I mean, the tax collectors were Jews who had been traitors to their people and had went on to work for the Romans and they collected more taxes than was due and they made themselves rich at the suffering of their own people. Matthew was scum in the eyes of Peter and John and James and Bartholomew and Thomas and all of them. They were like, no, Jesus, we don't even want this guy in our group. But Jesus says, no. I'm going to make something of Matthew's life. And in Matthew 9, verse 12, Jesus says, I've not come for the respectable people, for the outcast. None of us are really respectable anyway, but those who think they're respectable. I've come for the outcast, those who know that they're outcast. I've not come for the, 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 the healthy, but for the sick. And guess who wrote that? Who wrote that down? Thank goodness that Matthew came along because he gave us a pretty good book of the Bible. A pretty detailed book. Thank God God uses what we consider the least of these. And then one day Jesus, sitting at the front of the temple, watching as they put their money into the bucket. I wonder if God still watches as we put our money in the bucket. Because some of them were coming up there and they were putting some big wads of cash in. They were filling that bucket up. Probably because they knew he was watching. You know, putting in more today because that Jesus fellow's watching. I'm going to show him throwing big bucks in there. And then finally, the little widow comes up there. She's got two little coins worth a couple pennies. And she's probably just so embarrassed. No. Walks off thinking, oh my goodness, what must he think of me? What must he think of me? And Jesus stopped the whole show. His whole right there, whole right there. This little widow has given more than you all. Because you gave out of the, you know, the surplus, out of your abundance, you gave some. But she has given everything that she had to live on. She has trusted me with her next meal. She's put it all out there on the line for me. And he wasn't comparing her, her amount with anybody else. He was looking what? At the heart. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. It says many will be first in heaven who are last now. 
And many who are last now will be, or vice versa. Well, I get confused. Thank you, thank you. The first shall be last. See, we see things so differently. And what I want to encourage you today is understand you're not one of the well folks. You're not one of the respectable people, even if you are by the world's standards. We're all sick. We're all outcast. So that puts us in perfect position. That's who Jesus came for. Those who say it ain't about me. It ain't about my ability, but it's about my availability. That's all he needs is someone to say, here I am, Lord. Send me because I matter. You matter. You got to understand that you matter. Are we crazy to believe that God can use us? Are we crazy to believe that we can do this vision? We look at it and we say, that's too big for us. You know. You don't know who we are. I mean, we, we don't have the capability. We don't have the finances. We don't, God says, I will go with you. That's all you need to know. <laughs> we're crazy. 2 Corinthians 5.13 says, if it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. I'm crazy to bring glory to God. I don't care if I look like a fool, preach like a fool, and act like a fool. I'm here to bring glory to God. And if we're in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Paul says, Christ's love controls us. Who's controlling you? Is it really? Is Christ's love really controlling you? Or is it your own sinful desires, your own flesh, your own lust? For the world and for the things of this world. What is really controlling you? Paul says either way Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all. We also believe that we have all died to our old life. You see when you were resurrected. You weren't supposed to stay in the tomb. You've died to your old life. He died for everyone. So that those who receive the new life. Will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. And then he says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ from merely a human point of view. We saw him. We saw him doing miracles and stuff, but it's like he's still in a a body. He's still one of us. He's the carpenter's son. We saw Jesus as just a human until when? Until the stone was rolled away and he walked out alive. On the third day, now we see him differently because of the resurrection. And I'm telling you, people need to see you differently because of your resurrection. Your resurrection should make a difference in your life. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life is begun. We don't care about a human point of view anymore. You begin to see yourself as belonging to Christ. In Christ. All the blessings and promises 
Everything in the Bible is in Christ, and we've got to get us, see ourselves as in Christ. A new creation, a new life, resurrected. What is Jesus' point of view in all of this, you think? Everything that I've preached here today, what is, what is, how does Jesus feel about you and your past? Is he so upset? My goodness, you've wasted all this time. Pastor's making you feel bad that you ain't doing nothing. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to spur you to do something. And, and God is looking. He's saying, I know where you're at. I've been with you the whole time. I knew you would make mistakes. I created you. I allowed you to do those things. But I have always wanted you to get this revelation that it's Christ in you, the hope of your glory, the hope of my glory. Together, we'll, we'll glorify this earth. Together. That is the plan. And I've always longed to be with you to, to, for the day that you would say, I'm yours. For the day, this is, this is the day of salvation. You understand? This is the day. Put the past behind you. He's, he's, his mercy's new every day. Some of you still holding on to sin you did last year or that time you got a divorce or, or whatever and you're, you're saying that holds me back. No, it doesn't. You're forgiven in Christ Jesus. And you get up today washed white as snow, his mercy's new. And you can live. And he wants you to live. He's not judging you. He said, I didn't come to judge the world, but that the world through me might be saved. That you may be resurrected, that we may live. God has such great plans for us. He loves you. Some people just can't receive that because of all the things that's been heaped on you and the, the condemnation that the devil has put in your life and people have talked bad about you and said that you're no good, you'll never amount to nothing, you have no gifts, you have no talent, you're ugly, you're little, you're weak. But God says you're mine and that's all that matters. And you're my masterpiece and I made you the way I wanted you. I made you how you are, and I wanted you to be the best you. And you've compared yourself, and you've discouraged your own self. And if you look to me, I'm the author. I'm the finisher. And I will bring it to pass. 2 Corinthians 6.1 says, we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Don't be a pew sitter. For he says, in an acceptable time, I heard you. And on the day of salvation, I have helped you. And behold, now is the accepted time. Say now. You said you preached this last week. Well, it was now last week. And it's now again today. And it'll be now tomorrow when you get there. Now is the day of salvation. To live the resurrected life. I'm going to finish with this statement I wrote. You and I are here to build this passion church. You say, I don't care about the passion church. Well, you're wrong. Jesus is building his church. And if he puts you here in this body, then you're important to this body. And you need to be serving in this church. 
and pulling the weight. You and I are here to build this Passion Church and accomplish these banners. A church is not just called to be unified in belief, but in action. Being in one accord is not just fitting in a, into a Honda. And sometimes that's about all we can get to go on outreach to those that will fit into a Honda. Oh, I threw that in there, didn't I? I'm sorry. That was a little condemnation from the devil. You're welcome. No. I'm trying to change that about myself because I suffer from condemnation, and I also sometimes try to put it on you, and I'm sorry. I'm growing. That's something we can all do, ain't it? Get better. One accord is all, all of us tugging on the same cord and pulling in the same direction, and we need you on the rope. So don't make more excuses. You matter. Say, I matter. Amen. Well, bow your head and close your eyes. If there's anybody in here today that doesn't know God as your Lord and Savior, what I'm telling you, He loves you and He has a plan for your life, and it's time for you to be resurrected. It's time for you to live a new life, to be a new creation. He's going to send His Spirit into your heart. He's going to set you free from all the addictions and the bondages in your life, the sin. He's going to wash that away. He's going to give you a fresh start. He's going to tell you you matter. He's going to give you purpose. He's going to show you how to make a difference with your life. That's what our Jesus does. He was resurrected as an example to us that our lives can be made new. He died on the cross to take away your sins. If you will receive your forgiveness, then pray with me like this. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Make me new. I give myself to you. And another thing we need to do is we need to ask God to fill us with His Spirit. His Spirit is the one, His, Jesus' Spirit is the Holy Spirit, and His Holy Spirit is what He sent down to the earth to fill His believers, to give us the power to overcome the situations that we face and the sin and the things that pull on us. He, he gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could live life to the fullness and abundance that Jesus intended. Jesus did the miracles by the gift of the Holy Spirit in him. And the same works that he did, we shall do also if we will believe and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so all of you believers, whether you received the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, 20 years ago, you leak and you need to be refilled right now. We need more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Sometimes we take back rooms in our heart and we begin to hold on to things again release it right now and say have your way in me holy spirit have your way in this church lead and guide us to victory we believe in you holy spirit you're my comforter you're my friend and i know you'll be with me to the end praise god forevermore Somebody say in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.